Hey everybody, welcome to the weekly review. We've got some technical difficulties here. I know it's a huge surprise. I myself am fucking shocked. Um, something's up. We need a. I don't know where the soundboard is. That's great. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I will be playing some music at some point. I'm guessing out of the CD player. And uh, yeah, so please do stay tuned. And we'll be getting some music to you as soon as possible. I'll talk because can't have dead air, right? Oh, I'm so frustrated. Okay, so let's see what we got going on here. And... Oh, my. Oh, my. Wow, this is not fun. But we uh, are living in the age of technology, so I'll just use my phone to play music, because that's what we can do. Thanks for tuning in. Usually I start off the show with some music, so perhaps you're tuning in for the first time, and... Um, uh, whew. Catch my breath here. Uh, start off with some music, and then go into the introduction, and some news stories, etc. So let me go find the playlist. I'll calm myself down. I just feel pretty frustrated, you know, when uh, you come in and try to do everything right, and fortunately we can't quite plan for these things sometimes. Okay, so here's the playlist. Just going to get everything together here. Thanks again so much for tuning in. And, uh, yeah, we'll be getting to this momentarily. So please do stay tuned. Oh, I don't know if this is going to work. It didn't work before. Hmm. All right, so we're really working on from the uh, CD player. So let's do that now. And we'll find, I'll talk while, uh, look for some music to play. Not the playlist I had intended. And, uh, Miles Davis, a Miles Davis CD here. Let's see if the CD is in the case. And, yep, great. So we're going to play some music. I'm going to try to figure out what's going on here because there is quite a bit I want to play online today for you all. Thanks so much for tuning in. And let's see what we can do here and yep I gotta keep talking because uh, oh boy super duper frustrated super frustrated um, eject got a new CD player so that's nice um, we'll put in some music and uh, we'll be back in uh, hopefully soon stay tuned
Stick with the microphone. Wow. Welcome to the weekly review with Roman. Can you believe I've been doing the show for seven years? Thankfully, we're able to uh, figure things out, which makes me feel good. And uh, oof. Uh, the reason I get so upset about these things and is because it's like a minor thing, right? It's like, okay, this technology thing isn't working as it is planned, as it's supposed to. Um, but it's really just about the, the greater issues that are taking place. Uh, you know, fascism continuing to grow here in the United States and wanting to get to the studio to put on this show, start off by playing music to relax everyone and to uh, get folks into thinking, oh, this is a nice, comfortable music show. And then I'll be like, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, uh, cops in L.A. have been uh, talking about setting protesters on fire. And this is just folks who are trying to live. Uh, there are demonstrations in Echo Park uh, where unhoused folks have been. And uh, the instead, the government sends in these fucking cops um, paying so much fucking money between like the overtime and the helicopters and everything. Uh, money that could, of course, just go to actually housing people. And there were the cops were arresting protesters. They're arresting journalists, uh, assaulting people. I read that someone broke got their arm broken. Uh, legal observers, people who are just there to observe, were also arrested. And for the folks who are like the vote blue no matter who people, a reminder that uh, L.A., similar to San Francisco, we have a d Democratic uh, mayor. And, San Fran and California is also a, a blue state, so Democrat. You know, and it's like, well, the fascist cops are out of control here too. So um, oh, this is why I start off the show with music usually. But I did today, um, and now I need to figure out exactly what I did to get this working. Um, it wasn't the soundboard. It was the mixer, which is the older mixer. I don't believe the listeners have any real interest in what's going on here tech-wise, but I do believe I uh, was able to figure out what the issue was. So that makes me feel good, able to solve some problems if we can't save the greater problems of uh, uh, how to get rid of authoritarianism. Although I did read an article recently that uh, was about how it's not like there's more, well, I guess there are, there are more authoritarians now, but it's more just the Republicans, as the Republicans move towards authoritarianism, uh, people kind of move with them in that. So it's not like, oh, they're acting all authoritarian because of the population. It's more like, this is where they're moving, and then people move with them, and that's quite disturbing. And then we got the fucking feckless Democrats who uh, have a D next to their name and still bomb countries and leave people without health care and housing. Cool. Great times. Woo. But um, I am able to come to the radio station and share my opinions out loud, so that's something. Grateful for that. Oh, I should begin the show. I'm standing up right now. I'm speaking in uh, one of the mic. I had the other mic in my hand. I was just, uh, I do, s it's, it's that thing, of course, where one can try and prepare so much and then things can still not work out as we planned. I meditated this morning. I journaled. I showered. I made myself breakfast. I got here on time and um, it still didn't quite work out as I'd planned, but that's life, right? Okay. So we're broadcasting from Mutiny Radio. We're on Ramatush Ohlone land. And if you go to our website, weeklyrev.org, we have a land acknowledgement tab, and that can bring you to a lot of different links, including the Segorate Land Trust, which is based in what we know as the, the East Bay. And you can donate and uh, find a lot more information. We also have history of the land and people here, and as well as threads of uh, native news outlets to follow and a lot more information. And as someone who was brought up in this country, there's a lot of unlearning to do and a lot of relearning to do of accurate information. So wanting to share that with you all, again, weeklyrev.org, click on the Land Acknowledgement tab, and there are some links there. 
Okay, start off with some music. <laughs> Not the music I intended to play, which is, it's still okay though. And Miles Davis, it was in the Miles Davis uh, CD container. And, I, and um, I recently heard the audiobook of Cicely Tyson, Just As I Am, audiobook, which I highly recommend. Also, a regular book if you are able to sit down and concentrate and read. And highly recommend it. And she was married to Miles Davis for a bit. And there's some information in there that was really interesting. So I recommend that book. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll get into the music a little bit later, and I should probably open up the email that I prepared with uh, all of the stories to read to depress all of the masses. No, it's okay. We're already depressed. So why not get depressed more? Question mark. The, the positive thing of this show is that there is a lot of things that, that are terrifying and awful and frustrating, and at the same time, there are ways that folks are showing up, and people always have been. So that's... Um, that's just something to remember. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm looking at the headlines now of the articles, and they're all like, "Oh gosh, this is just awful." Uh, you know, there's an article: 110 years since the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire, its lessons are still unlearned. That might be a bit of a downer. Hmm. Oh goodness. Oh well, some positive news, and I'll I'll maybe get to these stories, and if not, I'll at least post the links on our webpage. Uber and Lyft lose another legal decision. This one in Massachusetts. One day. Uh, the hundreds of court cases and repeated losses are going to catch up to them and lead to workers getting treated better. That's great. Oh, here's something else, um, and I'll be playing. This is, a, this is why I was also just concerned about getting the audio all uh, worked out. Uh, one in five capital insurrectionists tied to U.S. military. Soldiers, quote-unquote, targets for extremist recruitment, which is just – I. There's no video camera here, so you can't see the expression on my face, but when you uh, get people to fight your wars and send them abroad to invade and destroy other countries, um, I think some of that mentality is going to stick, and it should not be a surprise that it comes up in some people's behavior. Okay, so let's start off with that, and this is from Democracy Now!, and there's a an interview there that I wanted to share, and I'll get there. There's a lot more stories that we'll get to, but thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. I know it's yikes. Things are pretty scary right now, and also, uh, gotta at least do what we can, right? I spoke to a. I've spoken to college and university classes in the past, and I the last time I did that I think was in New York. Uh, a couple years ago, and there was one, it was a sociology class, and one student asked, do you think we're going to win? And I was feeling very negative that day, so I had to be like, well, no, um, which I know is not what you're supposed to share. You're supposed to share hope, and I do have hope. I do. Uh, and I think perhaps a better way I could have phrased it is that at the, at the end, you know, all of us are going to die in one way or another, so why not spend our time here on Earth uh, trying to protect one another, help one another, uh, work for a more equitable world? And yes, there's a lot of things that need to be undone. There are a lot of uh, behaviors out there that are reprehensible and cause great harm. So many of us deal with epigenetics and the trauma that's in our bodies, and it's difficult to show up. And at the same time, if we're going to die anyway, I might as well go out fighting for what's right. So let's build a time machine, get me back in time so I could tell that kid that. Maybe they're listening. And I don't mean to call you a kid. You're a young adult. Okay. So this is from Democracy Now! One in five capital insurrectionists tied to U.S. military. 
soldiers' targets for extremist recruitment. And this came out on March 25th, which was yesterday. Oh, today's March 26th. I don't know if I said that yet. 2021. Here we go. And let's see if this works. Democracy yeah. Now, democracynow.org, the quarantine report. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh. The Armed Services Committee of the House held a hearing Wednesday on extremism in the U.S. military to look at how nearly one in five people who are facing charges related to the deadly January 6th insurrection at the Capitol had served or are serving in the military, including at least two active duty troops. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin in January ordered a 60-day stand-down across the force to address extremism. The first deadline is coming up on April 6th. But Republicans on the committee used their time to cast doubt on the need for the hearing. This is Texas Congressman Pat Fallon. Let's look at the data we do have. Our office reached out to all four branches of the service and asked one simple question. How many members of your branch were separated last year due to extremist activities? The Marine Corps gave us the data out of 222,000 current and active duty uh, reservists and active duty Marines, a total of four were separated last year for extremist activity, leaving us once again with an infinitesimally tiny figure of one out of 55,475. This isn't a hearing about the readiness of our armed forces. It's nothing more, unfortunately, than political theater. That's Republican Congressmember Fallon. Uh, he drew this response from the committee chair, Adam Smith. We'll just point out a couple of simple little math issues. 20% of the people that have been arrested from the Capitol Hill riots had a history of serving in the military, one way or the other. To then say that, well, those are the only people in the military that could possibly be involved in extremism is simply logically absurd, and I'm sure the gentleman would recognize that. We don't know for sure how large the problem is. That's why we're having the hearing. One of the experts asked to testify at Wednesday's hearing was Leisha Brooks, chief of staff at the Southern Poverty Law Center, who said the military has long failed to adequately address far-right extremism in the ranks. Let me begin with two distinct points. First, the vast majority of those who serve in our armed forces have no connection to white supremacy or extremism and strive always to uphold the best traditions of our nation's democratic ideals. Second, the military has a growing problem with white supremacy and extremism because our country does. The white nationalist movement in the United States is surging and presents a serious danger to our country and its cherished institutions, threatening the morale and good order of those serving in our armed forces. That's Alicia Brooks, chief of staff of the Southern Poverty Law Center, testifying at yesterday's Armed Services Committee hearing on extremism in the armed forces. She joins us now for more. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Alicia. Um, can you talk about this critical issue. I mean, one in five of those charged uh, have served or are serving in the military, not to mention the police and in those intelligence. This part of the January 6th insurrection. The significance of this, an issue you've been covering for years. That is correct. The Southern Poverty Law Center has really been looking at this issue for decades, dating back to 1986, when we first wrote a Secretary Weinberger. And, and it's important to note that People who are, who are connected with the military are prime targets for extremists. They have leadership skills that are valuable. They have intelligence that is valuable. They are actively recruited 
prior to joining the military. They're recruited while they're in the military. And we take great risk in not um, looking at their connections to extremism as they separate from the military. And Leisha, could you lay out the recommendations that you presented uh, uh, to Congress yesterday? Yes, thank you. The, and, and we just really want to commend uh, Chairman Smith for holding the hearings. And as we understand it, they've never held a full hearing um, ever on this on this topic. And and as was brought up a lot yesterday, there's there's a lack of data. And as we know, data drives policy. There are inconsistent inconsistent policies across um, our military forces. We're calling for data collection, additional training, and um, a train and, and I'm sorry, and support services in terms of building resilience for those that separate and are re-entering civilian life. Alicia, uh, I'd like to turn to the first uh, Black Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, uh, speaking to 60 Minutes earlier this month during an interview about extremism in the ranks. There's probably not a job that I had since I was a lieutenant colonel where some people didn't question whether or not I was qualified to, to take that job. It's the world I live in, and, and I'm sure that the other officers that you talk to would, would probably say the same thing. There's not a day in my life, David, when I didn't wake up and think about the fact that I was a black man. So, Leisha, your response to that, uh, the significance of Austin being in this position, uh, and also the steps that he's taken so far to address the question of uh, uh, hate and extremism in the military. Nareem, we're very encouraged by Secretary Austin's um, ascension to the head of the Department of Defense. One, because not not simply because he's an African American, and and he's, he mentioned in his own words, he has faced racial discrimination for his entire life. It's also important to note that he experienced firsthand white supremacists in the military, so he knows that it's that it exists and that it has existed for some time. That 60 Minutes uh, broadcast was so so difficult to hear. Not only. Not only did we hear from Secretary Austin, but we also heard from the, the head of the Air Force, who talked about similar experiences with racial discrimination. And we know that, based on Military Times uh, surveys, they survey active duty service members. And each year, for the last three years, it goes up, where, where service members report that they've seen and witnessed um, white nationalists or white, white supremacy on base and, and within the ranks. So, the the um, the members yesterday who questioned the data, who questioned um, the, the the prevalence of, of white supremacy or extremism, I the Southern Poverty Law Center was certainly brought to talk about our expertise with respect to white nationalist infiltration. Um, there is a problem with extremism, and we need to do a better job in terms of uh, regulations, enforcement across all branches of the military. I want to go back to yesterday's hearing. Let's go to a question to you about Confederate symbols from New Jersey Democratic Congressman Donald Norcross. You speak about removing symbols across the military, in particular the Confederate flag. Why is that important? Give us a historical perspective. Here we are in 2021. Why that's a problem? As you know, the Confederacy stood against the Union, 
and in addition, the, con the Confederacy was formed to protect and prolong the inhumane institution of chattel slavery in the United States. We believe that it is wrong for a military that embraces all people to hold up as heroes those who fought to continue the enslavement of African Americans. So that's our guest, Leisha Brooks of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, there isn't a question the military pours a lot into routing out and going after if there were foreign infiltrators in the U.S. military, you know, related to al-Qaeda or whatever. Do you see anything like that kind of uh, those resources going in to rout out white supremacists? Clearly, in the, all the reports of the Pentagon and intelligence, the number one domestic terror threat in this country. That is true. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, we are just getting at the place, Amy, where we can talk about white supremacy and white nationalism. The Southern Poverty Law Center, we, we presented last year to a subcommittee of the armed services, and, and they could barely say the word white supremacy or white nationalism. So at least we are, we are thankful that the conversation is moving forward. And again, I think it's extremely important that we have uh, Secretary Austin who recognizes that it exists. So we, we are hopeful, and we're, we're hopeful in terms of this president and the secretary of defense. I was more hopeful prior to yesterday's testimony about the committee. But there, again, giving credit to, to Chairman Smith, I do believe that they will do all that they can to ensure that we, that we um, engage in robust data collection, that regulations are uniform across all branches of service, that the regulations pertaining to active participation in, in, in these extremist groups is taken seriously. Did you see w what happened on January 6th as an attempt of white supremacists to take over the Capitol? Oh, my goodness, yes. Um, the Southern Poverty Law Center, as you know, tracks, tracks and monitors hate and extremist groups. What we saw on January 6th was a coalescing of, of not only traditional bad actors or white supremacist groups, but also conspiracy theorists. So when we talk about extremists, we're talking about groups that believe that their in-group success is, is dependent upon taking hostile action against, the, uh, against an out-group. So what we're seeing is a coming together of, of people who adopt a, a true white supremacist ideology, along with others who are feeling aggrieved and feeling um, uh, advanced the false narrative that that there's white displacement across the country. So we could we could easily say that there are 50 million people who have been been exposed to uh, extremist ideology and have bought into a narrative of false information. And that is represented in the larger society, so of course it's represented within the military. Leisha Brooks, I want to thank you for being with us, Chief of Staff of the Southern Poverty Law Center, expert on extremism in the military. When we come back, we get another— All right. So again, you can find that link at uh, Democracy Now! We provided a link on our page, weeklyrev.org. Going to play a bit of music, and we'll be back with some more news stories. Please do stay tuned. Ooh, that's not quite what I had uh, intended. There we go. All right, so here's some music, and we'll be back in a bit.
Ludovico Ainudi and Daniel Hope with uh, Etricor. And definitely, oof, that's a lot. Going to move into some other news. We've got a lot more to get to. However, I wanted just to keep on pushing along here. This is from the California Poor People's Campaign National Call for Moral Revival. Uh, this is the California newsletter. With the Amazon uh, union fight approaching its climax, we're devoting a second Moral Monday to the Bessemer 6000. It's not too late for you to help. Read on to learn how. You'll also find a few words from Reverend Barber on the tragedies in Atlanta and Boulder. And this is Moral Monday, standing strong with Bessemer Amazon workers. This is happening March 29th at 12 p.m. Pacific time. And they have a national live stream that I'll post a link to. Uh, next Monday marks the last day for Amazon workers in Bessemer to vote on the right to unionize. Following last week's Moral Monday, when Reverend Barber joined the workers in person, uh, the PPC is keeping its focus there next week when the drive to boost voter turnout will reach its peak. Tune in and be a part of the historic fight, of this historic fight. We've also got three ways you can lend your voice below. The Amazon union drive has major implications for California. The Bessemer 6000, as Reverend Barber called the Amazon warehouse workers, represent the first viable attempt to organize at an Amazon facility in the U.S. They're fighting for workplace dignity, for basics like the right to use the bathroom without harassment, and extend extended sick time after being infected with COVID-19 on the job. In California, there are 153,000 full and part-time workers employed at Amazon facilities. A pro-union in Bessemer would have an enormous impact here. With a nod to this national resonance, uh, Reverend Barber said that Bessemer is our Selma and part of America's third reconstruction. Here's how you can take action in solidarity with Amazon workers. One, call or email our U.S. senators to demand that they pass an immediate increase of the minimum wage for all workers to $15 an hour, strengthen union rights, and protect the right to vote. You can use this online uh, call tool or this email tool and they provide links you can create a solidarity video using these talking points and they provide a link there as well uh, be sure to record your video in vertical mode if you're using your phone speak up on social media share your views and or video on platforms with these hashtags hashtag poor people's campaign hashtag we are not robots hashtag be amazon union so i uh, will be uh posting a link to this on our website also along the lines of workers' rights. Uh, 700 SEIU, 87 janitors in San Francisco strike for PPE and a contract. 26 have died from COVID. And this is by the Labor Video Project. And this was posted on IndieBay.org on Wednesday, March 24th. 700 SEIU, 87 janitors have gone on strike for a contract. The contractors have failed to provide proper amount of PPE and 26 janitors have died from COVID. And they share some pictures here. Uh, uh, janitor said that the contractors want concessions on health care and have also failed to protect them from COVID on the job. The union reported that 26 San Francisco janitors have died from COVID-19, and janitors said that they had to buy their own masks since they were not provided with enough. The pandemic, according to the janitors, has also been used to undermine seniority. The companies have laid off senior janitors and hired new janitors to subst at, at substandard pay. I'm going to slow down here. Oh, there's just so much to get to. <sighs> okay. The companies have laid off senior janitors and hired new janitors at substandard pay, under 
mining the wages and union contract. Janitor said they want equal pay for equal work and the rehiring of the 3,000 janitors as the buildings up, up. Okay. Uh, the strike will go on for the strike will go for three days, and then other workers at other buildings will go out, according to the union members. And they have uh, additional media, labor union, uh, Labor Day, Unite Here Two, SEIU eighty seven protest, lift union boosting and fight for healthcare and income with COVID. Uh, let's see what this is. There's a link on YouTube, and there's also uh, PS benefits and no one Prop twenty two. So let's see. So, okay, this is from last year. So they provide uh, video footage as well on this site. And again, we will post the link to this on our website, uh, weeklyrev.org. All right, what is next? Let's see here. I'm going to play one more song, and then we'll get back to some more news stories. And this is a song by Bam Lucero called Back in Ohio.
questions i'm going to move along here and get to some more news stories for you all okay i'm just uh putting the links up here on our website again weeklyrev.org and i'm gonna just share a few headlines here uh, massive direct action taking place uh in france this happened i believe yesterday by farmers as they demand fair prices for their produce one hundreds of tractors rolled up to government buildings to dump shit all over them. No manners, but brilliant critics uh, is the caption. We will post a link to this video on our website as well. And that was um, March 25th. I'm going to share that. Okay. Um, whew, taking a deep breath because there's, there's a lot going on here. Um, it's also Trans Week of Action, wanting to share that. Unfortunately, as the there's just the rise of fascism is just people who want to control other people's bodies, which is just fucking ridiculous. So uh, Chase Strangio, who posts a lot of great information, you can follow Chase on Twitter at C-H-A-S-E-S-T-R-A-N-G-O, uh, posted this on March 24th. If you are gearing up to celebrate Trans Day of Visibility, join us for a week of action leading up. Here is the plan. More information each day. So on March 24th, start off with Arkansas. And um, I'm going to post a link to this thread because there's a lot of information here. And this is by uh, Chase Strangio and Raquel Willis. 
So March 24th and 25th is Arkansas, 26th to the 28th is South Dakota, and March 29th to the 31st is Alabama. So these are things you can still do. Proposed laws, I'm going to share a bit about this. In Arkansas, uh, HB 1570 bans health care for trans youth and insurance coverage for all trans people. It's just so fucking sick and disgusting. And there's um, SB 354, which bans uh, trans women and girls who are trans from sports and policies uh, and oh, polices all athletes' bodies and women's sports. And you can take action by contacting Governor Asa Hutchinson and tell him to veto HB 1570 and SB 354. You can call 501-682-2345 and email asa.hutchinson at governor.arkansas.gov. You can also donate to Intransitive, in, in uh, which you can Venmo at at I-N-T-R-A-N-S-I-T-I-V-E. And you can also cash app um, dollar sign transcoins. Uh, next up is South Dakota, March 26th to 28th. Proposed law, HB 1217. It bans trans women and girls from sports and creates a state registry of youth athletes based on their bodies, which is fucking disturbing and bizarre and gross. You can take action by contacting Governor Kristi Noem and tell her to stop HB 1217. You can call 605-773-3212, and you can email Governor Noem, and that's N-O-E-M, at state.sd.us. You can also donate to the Transformation Project Advocacy Network, and that's transadvocacysd.org. March 29th to the 31st is Alabama. Proposed laws, HB1, SB10, makes it a felony to provide gender-affirming care for trans youth. There's also HB391, which bans trans women and girls from sports and polices all athletes' bodies and women's sports. You can take action by contacting Governor Kay Ivey and tell her to veto HB1, SB10, and HB391. You can call 334-242-7100. You can also donate to the Knights and Orchid Society, tkosociety.com. And we'll provide this uh, link to this thread with all these images, really pretty images, um, online. And um, yeah, so we will share all of this information. You can also, I've been sharing it too. You can also follow me on Twitter at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. Uh, yeah, just fucking disturbing. Okay. The rest of these articles, I'm just breathing, breathing a bit. Um, something positive is that Virginia has abolished the death penalty. So granted, there should not have been a death penalty in the first place. And also, um, that's some positive news. It's the first southern state to do so. And oh, right. I read about this. Gonna click that. Make sure that's off the list. Okay. Next up. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Maybe I want another music break. I think I do. So uh, I'm gonna play some more music. That's how that works out. And um, here's some more music. This is from Celeste. This is a song called Strange. Trying to see through walls. It wouldn't move 
Strangers to friends, friends into lovers, and strangers again. And the silence steals over to my bedside. Disclosure turns my insides, stops me when I try to stand. Isn't it strange how people can change from strangers to
Coffee mug filled it up. I always knew what it was to Ooh. Been on your side for years. You can never love without crying. Ooh. Today you can find every day, every night. Drove me wild, drove me insane, drank the whole bottle and forgot my name. All I ever wanted was a mother for the first time. Finally, I can see you as the leader of the landslide. She led, she led the riding's on. smell the alcohol the only thing I know is that we're in too deep and maybe when she's dead and gone I'll get some Blamed it all on your kids. We were young, we were innocent. You told me a lie. Fuck you for that. Fuck all your pride and fuck all your prayers. And all this time I waited like a fool and for the first time. See you as the 
Hi, welcome back. That was the Lumineers with Leader of the Landslide. And the way I pick up, pick up, pick out music, um, oftentimes if there's uh, local bands or folks I know who like to share their music, I play that. If there's music I've heard throughout the week, I try to either bookmark it or Shazam it if I'm in that, in a place where I can. And that was one of those songs I had. So, and then before that, we heard Celeste with Strange. And I'm going to share uh, another piece here. And this is from the uh, Chinese for Affirmative Action site. And you can find this at caasf.org. Asian organizations across the Bay Area join forces to demand action against violence. And this uh, was published on February 9th, 2021. And we'll, we'll provide a link to it on our website at weeklyrip.org. Uh, we, the undersigned organizations, denounce violence against members of Asian American communities in San Francisco, Oakland, and the greater Bay Area. We stand in solidarity with victims, survivors, and families who have suffered loss and pain. Three violent, uh, excuse me, these violent assaults have um, made the especially difficult circumstance of the COVID-19 pandemic even more painful. From our Chinese, Thai, and Vietnamese elders to our youth, our Asian American communities are traumatized, afraid, and outraged during a time when we are also experiencing disproportionate impacts of the pandemic. These include mass unemployment, safety risks to frontline workers, insecure housing, the shattering of our local small businesses, and a surge in anti-Asian racism. In the past year, we have seen an escalation of violence and other incidents against Asian American communities. The Stop AAPI Hate Reporting Center documented 2,808 hate incidents in 2020. Over 700 of these occurred in the Bay Area. And while we should not make any assumptions about the reasons behind these recent incidents, whether racially motivated or not, they have profound impacts on our Asian communities across the country and internationally. Our elderly community members, along with their families, are fearful of being in public alone, simply going for a walk and living their daily lives and survivors of interpersonal violence and their families have historically not received enough culturally competent and language-accessible support across government systems. We recognize that violence affects all of us and all of our communities. We must invest in long-term community-centered solutions that create spaces for cross-racial healing that address underlying causes and create ways for all to thrive. We believe that our strength is in unity, not division, and that our histories and our futures are intertwined. That is why we are committed to working with Black, Indigenous, Latinx, and Pacific Islander communities for long-term shared vision and solutions to stop the violence in all our communities. We also recognize that it is up to us to keep our communities accountable and to uh, holistically respond to generational trauma and violence. It is up to us to imagine what real safety could look like for our people and to build the future we want to see, one that is grounded in accountability, justice, and care for each other. As the Lunar New Year approaches, uh, we must all come together to protect the safety of our community, members who are feeling vulnerable during what should be a celebratory time. The cities of San Francisco and Oakland leadership must immediately increase culturally relevant and trauma-informed investments that, one, ensure victims and survivors of all backgrounds and language abilities receive full supportive services so they can recover and heal. Two, expand intervention and prevention-based programs and invest in basic needs and community-based infrastructure that we know will end the cycle of violence and keep all of us safer. 
and three, resource cross-community education and healing in Asian American and black communities that humanizes all of us rather than demonizes or scapegoats any community of color. As organizations with a long history of protecting and advancing the rights of communities of color, we know that on over an over-reliance on law enforcement ap approaches has largely been ineffective and has been disproportionately harmful to black communities and other communities of color. We believe the solution to violence is to empower our communities with resources, support, and education. This is how we make all of our communities safe. And they have a list of 93 organizations that have signed the statement. And I'll provide a link um, on our page, weeklyrev.org. And again, you can find this at C aasf.org and big thanks to Lenora Lee um, who's been I guess on the show before um, um, on the mailing list um, she provided a, a link to this so I'm going to um, be grateful for um, this being shared okay is about 111 let's see i think it's time for another music break and we'll be back in just a bit so please do stay tuned nobody's gonna fix her but it's a world
Welcome back. That was Stereo Lab with a song called Ping Pong. Before that, we heard Julia Bolter with Sea Calls Me Home. And before that, a uh, song I really like a lot that's been out uh, pretty recently by Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah, a song called Thousand Oaks. Up there, up next, <laughs> there's um, another event folks can participate in. Uh, Don't Be Fools, Cancel Debt, and Make College Free While You Still Can. And this is Thursday, April 1st. 2021 from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. And this is going to be at 50 Beale Street in San Francisco. For more information, you can contact Bay Area Debtors Union at gmail.com. And this is by the Debt Collective. And uh, we've posted a link on our website, weeklyrev.org, for more information and to sign up and uh, register and or to let them know you're coming. Okay. Whew. Okay. Next. I believe I was going to play an audio clip from Echo Park earlier in the show. I mentioned what's happening in the last couple of days in L.A. And it's important because the kind of things that happen there um, can and will happen everywhere unless it's stopped. And also just wanting to um, just share the narrative, too, because uh, journalists are being arrested down there. Oh, just fucking disgusting. Okay. I say that word quite a lot because I'm quite disgusted by human behavior. It's just like that Bjork song. Okay, uh, I like the Bjork song, just to be clear here. So this is a um, uh, speaker from uh, yesterday, and this is shared by uh, Alexis Olivier Ray. Um, you can follow on Twitter, at shoton35mm is their Twitter handle. Uh, contrary to what people might assume, many of the unhoused residents in Echo Park Lake have lived in the community for decades. Yesterday, the queen of Echo Park, a 30-year resident of Echo Park, explained how she ended up living in the park after being run over. And I'm going to share that's about a minute long. I'm going to share this clip and also provide a link on our website. Okay, and uh, further on in the in the thread, uh, according to at LA Homeless, uh, the majority of unhoused hoax have lived in Los Angeles County for more than a decade. And just to clarify, the video was shot the morning of March 24th, and since then a fence has been erected around the perimeter of the park. And this was from uh, March 25th that it was um, this information was shared. Uh, so I'll provide a link on our website uh, to that as well. 
And um, along the, the lines of just how difficult it can be to be unhoused, uh, there's an article from the San Francisco Public Press, uh, Lack of Water for Homeless, San Franciscans Called a Human Rights Abuse. And uh, this came out on March 15th by Ryan Howey. Uh, the lack of fresh water available to homeless people in San Francisco during the COVID-19 pandemic constitutes a human rights abuse, a community organizer said. As the city's shelter-in-place orders drag into a second year, before the pandemic, many of the city's homeless residents relied on bathrooms and restaurants, libraries, and other public facilities to bathe, collect drinking water, and use the toilet. The shelter-in-place order shuttered many of those spaces, leaving homeless residents without water access when good hygiene was paramount to containing the spread of the coronavirus. A year later, Many homeless residents still face the same hurdles to water access, a report by the Coalition on Homelessness says. This is a human rights abuse, says Carlos Watkins, a coalition organizer. Homeless San Franciscans are living at a standard beneath what, what any organization that focuses on water would call adequate access. The report draws from questionnaires filled out by 73 unhoused or formerly homeless residents in the Tenderloin, Mission District, and Bayview in December, January, and February. Surveyors walked around the neighborhoods asking the unhoused residents they encountered to complete the questionnaires. Participants received bottled water, hygiene kits, and a gift card in exchange for participating. The San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, which manages the city's water system, was not involved in the survey and therefore could not comment on its findings, said Commission spokesman Will Reisman, adding that the commission firmly believes that access to water is an essential human right. Most of the respondents could not procure the minimum daily allotment of water recommended by the UN. The coalition plans to release a report on its findings Tuesday, the anniversary of the first pandemic shelter-in-place order enacted by the Department of Public Health. The standards the report cites come from the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees and SPHERE, a humanitarian organization that publishes a handbook of recommendations for refugee aid groups. The coalition uses these standards because there are many uh, similarities between the living conditions of homeless people and refugees, and because these standards establish the bare necessities of maintaining life, Watkins said. After the first six months of a refugee crisis, the UN recommends an allotment of 15 to 20 liters of water per person per day. Sphere's guidance calls for at least 15 liters per person per day. Some 69% of respondents have trouble finding fresh water, and 60% were unable to access more than 15 liters of water per day. Many respondents said they were unable to haul water jugs between their camps and the nearest fountains due to their age, physical disabilities, or the sheer distance to the nearest fountain. Many respondents were above the age of 55, and respondents were disproportionately non-white compared to San Francisco's general population, the report said. How San Franciscans use more than 158 liters per day on average, according to a 2019-2020 annual report by the, Calif by the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. In January, Eric Kohler told the public press about his experience of hauling six-gallon water-sized water jugs more than a mile between the nearest accessible water fountain and his tent in the Tenderloin and South of Market neighborhoods. He spent hours hauling the jugs, sometimes twice in a day, and he still didn't have enough to keep himself clean. The city later placed him in an emergency hotel room. I went three to four weeks at a time without washing my clothes, Kohler said. After months of, complete, of complaints from homelessness service groups about the lack of water access, the Utilities Commission installed permanent drink taps in January and February to replace some of the temporary water spigots the city rolled out in neighborhoods with large homeless populations. 
The new fountains are part of a 10-year-long program to install about 180 fountains across the city, Reisman said, adding that the Utility Commission would continue to work with community groups to address water access. The Department of Emergency Ma uh, Management and the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing did not reply to requests for comment. Uh, by publication time, the coalition plans to present the report at a public Zoom meeting 11 a.m. on Tuesday. Whew. All right. Um, okay. Next up, as we are finishing up the shows here, the show here. Uh, this is from More Perfect Union. You can find them at, at More Perfect US. And new, this is from March 18th. Kroger's workers are on the front lines of providing essential services. On the job, they are assaulted, verbally abused, and infected with COVID. Kroger is making billions off their work. However, it is going to shutter stores in a third city instead of giving hero pay. And so here are um, some workers speaking about this. It's about a three-minute video. Vulnerable, exposed, sickened, and died. Um, in order to carry out the business of the Kroger company. When things like a pandemic happen, people get scared. When people get scared, they do crazy things. I actually was assaulted at one of the stores. He hit me with his cart to cut me off. And of course I, I caught it and I pushed it back and then he hit me, he just like hit me. And he didn't have his mask on. What's been very traumatic, they've been exposed on a daily basis to COVID infection. They've actually on occasion required people to come to work sick. We worked through this pandemic this whole year. People has been getting sick with COVID and they still don't show appreciation to us. People are feeling cheated and shorted and undervalued. During this pandemic, Kroger has made obscene amounts of profit. In 2020, they made 2.6 billion in profit, which is more than 50% more than the previous year. So their profits have grown tremendously. They've spent 2 billion on stock buybacks and dividends for investors. And just a small part of that would make a huge difference in the lives of their workers, but they are not right now sharing any of it. All along throughout the whole pandemic, our focus has always been keeping our associates safe and our customers safe. We had a lot of people coming in without masks. There's still a lot to come back and verbally abuse us, you know, and get in our personal space, you know? We just have to take it. These stores have become petri dishes for infection. I personally have had to call at least once every other week to families of members who have died or had family members die as a result of this infection in their stores. Rodney McMullen, the CEO of Kroger, makes $20 million a year, which is about a thousand times what the average Food for Less worker earns in a year. They only have one value, and that's greed. Okay, I'm just going to back up here so I can read the captions here. Um, Los Angeles mandated a $5 hour hazard pay raise for grocery workers. And uh, Kroger retaliated by saying it would close three no of its stores in No one LA. else is closing stores in reaction to this. Only Kroger, one of the most profitable, if not the most profitable grocery chain in the country. They're just bullying us. I mean, Look, what, look what's happening to my store. We got the news that they're closing down my store due to hero pay. Due to a small amount of hero pay, they have the money to pay all of us. They just don't want to share it. We actually help them to make this money. After they receive this money, they just want us to kick us out. 
It's, it's not right. What I have to say to Kroger is keep these stores open. You were afforded the privilege of operating when other enterprises were closed. You know how the responsibility to continue to keep these grocery stores operating to provide, to sustain our communities, our neighborhoods with the essential food step. Ugh. Wow, late stage capitalism. That's so disturbing. Um, I'm going to just read a couple more headlines and then I'm going to sign off with some more music because, wow, there's a lot we got to today. There's an article from the Marshall Project. I did 340 push-ups a day to prepare for the TV version of Prison. Then I got there. After a steady diet of shows like Oz, I was convinced that prison would be a paradise for monsters. Turns out the abuse I experienced came directly from the system. And that's written by Benjamin Boyce, and we'll provide a link to that on our page. And as well as uh, a special release. Let me bring this up here. A special release from the uh, Javelina Network of the IAF-FAI for the Indigenous Day of Rage, Skills for Revolutionary Survival 5, Communications Equipment for Rebels, it is time to build infrastructure that ends our dependence on corporate infrastructure. Skills for Revolutionary Special 5. Um, let me read a bit about this, and you can find more uh, on their website, uh, which I will also share a link for. I'm going to wait for this to load so I can share more. One moment here. Let me get this up. And this was uh, from October 11th. And this is from the Indigenous Anarchist Federation. Taking a little bit here, moment to load here. And yeah, we'll provide a link as well. And this is about building mode building nodes of communication, um, affinity groups, and larger community of accomplices, as well as regional networks of resistance, etc. So there's a lot of great information here that I cannot um, uh, what's the word? I want to say like respectfully, but that's that's not quite what I'm looking for. Uh, adequately, there we go. I cannot quite adequately sum up all this great information, so I'll provide a link on our webpage. And let's see, get through. Oh, this is one big article I definitely wanted to get to. Oh my. Well, got a few minutes here. This is from uh, Caitlin Johnstone. Debunk and discredit the empire's propaganda. Notes from the edge of the narrative matrix. So this came out a couple days ago. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read this, and then I'll uh, play some music, and we'll be <laughs> we'll be done here. Uh, the empire expends so much of its wealth and energy on mass-scale narrative control via propaganda, not because it wants to, but because it needs to. This tells us that the best way to oppose the empire is to help debunk, discredit, and break public trust in the narratives it works so hard to circulate. If you say something seemingly innocuous to your friend and it triggers and upsets them, this tells you you've touched on a sensitive area they feel defensive about. Similarly, imperial narrative managers freak out at anyone who questions the empire's official doctrine. What are they guarding? They are guarding imperial narrative control. That's what they're guarding. They're aggressively protecting their utterly essential ability to control the thoughts people think in their heads at mass scale and in doing and, and in so doing, they are inadvertently telling you where to find the weak parts in the armor of the machine. The most effective way to resist imperialism is to help debunk and discredit the empire's propaganda narratives. That's honestly what I try to do here on this show, for better or for worse. Uh, the most effective way to help advance imperialism is to help circulate the empire's propaganda narratives. The problem isn't 
that we are ruled by tyrants, it's that we are ruled by tyrants and don't know it. If we weren't being manipulated at mass scale by propaganda away from a clear seeing of what's going on, we'd eliminate tyrants as easily as you eliminate a mosquito on your arm. When a normal person does something wrong, they admit it, apologize, take action to fix it, and take steps to make sure it never happens again. When a sociopath does something wrong, they rearrange narratives to try and make it look like they did something right. How our rulers handle the rock says which one they are. It's nuts how the U.S. is circling the planet with military bases, waging nonstop wars, sanctioning children to death, and flirting with nuclear war, and people are still like, we really need to do something about Cuba. People who call you a Russian agent or a CCP propagandist for opposing U.S. imperialism are admitting to being so fucking stupid that they can't imagine any other scenario in which someone might oppose the worst behaviors of the most powerful and destructive government on our planet. Mentally translate every single mass media news cycle into, here are some reasons why you should believe it's good for poverty and wars to continue while plutocrats rule over you with an iron fist. People don't generally heal their inner trauma until they are in a safe, stable space, which allows them to do so. Humanity as a whole desperately needs such a space to heal from countless generations of trauma. Socialism would be a good tool for providing ourselves such a space. A big part of America's ongoing mass shooting epidemic is due to Americans being the most propagandized population on the planet and the most warmongering nation on the planet. You can only twist, the twist and pummel the human psyche so much before it snaps, and you can only terrorize the rest of the world so much before you receive violence at home. Hint, if one power is surrendering, excuse me, excuse me, hint, if one power is surrounding another power with military forces, then that power is the aggressor. Anything the other power then does on the world stage in response to this aggression is called defense, not imperialism. It is an indisputable fact that Biden has picked up exactly where Trump left off in on an anti-Beijing hawkishness. If you don't know this, it's because you live in an echo chamber. Elon Musk has a very unusual type of narcissism, which causes him to think the world revolves around Elon Musk, and also somehow causes millions of other people to think that too. For a brief time, there lived a species which spent its final moments hurtling toward climate collapse and nuclear war, arguing about whether or not younger generations had gotten too woke. Half of Western uh, NatSec news stories these days boil down to unnamed officials claim imperialism-targeted nation did invisible bad thing for which the evidence is classified. Ever noticed how people who call themselves realists are usually the most unrealistic people in the conversation? They're like, yeah, I'm a realist. I support continuing a political, economic, and military model that's about to get us all killed. Pretty sure that's the best way. I'm a realist, which means I support having the entirety of human behavior driven by the pursuit of imaginary numbers and a made-up economic system, even if we have to destroy the ecosystem and nuke ourselves to death in the process. I'm a realist, which means I support trying to advance urgently needed revolutionary changes through a political party that is deliberately set up to prevent such changes. False, spiritual, false spirituality offers sedation and escapism from reality. It is very convenient for the powerful. True spirituality means expanding consciousness of reality, consciousness of our inner dynamics and outer dynamics, which lead to suffering. Nearly every spirituality today is false. False spirituality helps you hide the ugly truths within and without by offering comforting narratives and practices, which help sedate your emotional body. True spirituality brings consciousness to those ugly truths within and without and brings them into the light to be seen. The powerful benefit from false spirituality. 
They say, use mindfulness and deep breathing exercises to help you cope with the stress of a meaningless, exploitative job. They glorify meekness, obedience, and poverty, and extol us to forgive those who have committed great evils. True spirituality is the last thing the powerful would ever want to go mainstream because it means waking up to reality. It means no longer being able to tolerate untruth in oneself or in society. The powerful thrive on untruth, on hiddenness, the opposite of what true spirituality brings. Humanity embracing true spirituality would mean a transformation in our relationship with mental narrative, which would be impossibly disruptive to the propaganda techniques the powerful use to propagandize us. And it would mean getting real with ourselves about the nature of our persecutors. Dysfunction and consciousness cannot coexist. Where there is sufficiently deep awareness that something is dysfunctional, the dysfunction naturally moves toward health. True spirituality and corrupt power are therefore natural enemies because true spirituality expands awareness. Wow, what a piece. This was written by Caitlin Johnstone, and it came out on uh, two days ago, so March 24th. You can find it at Caitlin... Uh, oh, C-A-I... Oh, Katie... Uh, johnstone.medium.com, katejohnstone.medium.com. Oh, yeah, C-A-I-T-Y, johnstone.medium.com. I'm kind of tired here. All right, I'm going to share a link to this on our website. I'm going to play some music. Um, plug the station, Mutiny Radio. we got shows here every day of the week. Listen in at mutinyradio.fm. we got all our archives up. If you're interested in doing a show here of your own, you can uh, contact the director of the station, Pam, and check in about doing that. Also, the archives for all of these are the last six years of the show are up online as well. You can find those. I've had some really great conversations with people over the years. Also played a lot of music. Uh, lots of go down the rabbit hole. Lots of stuff there. If you'd like to donate, we have a Patreon set up. Go to mutinyradio.fm um, or weeklyrep.org. You can donate to Mutiny Radio. Uh, we have a Venmo. Uh, so mutinyradio.fm to donate directly to the station and you can also donate directly to the show at patreon.com forward slash weekly rev there's also a link on our site weeklyrev.org and or you can venmo me at roman dash rhymer great well hope everyone has had a an okay week getting through it uh here's a song that i feel like is uh yeah just sums it up uh for a lot of folks this is called uh working women blues by uh valerie june uh have a great week everyone we'll be back next week
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. 
My name is Wonia Thibault of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do, to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience, like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... Uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch Francisco, what are you doing this week? Come join Mutiny Radio Presents for four different comedy shows supporting local businesses in the Mission District and beyond. On Sunday, join us in the Tenderloin at Resolute Wine Bar, 678 Geary for Barrel of Laughs at Resolute, an amazing comedy show with the best wines curated by Resolute. On Wednesdays, join us at Asiento at and 21st and Bryant for dinner and a show at Asiento. Delicious tapas, incredible drinks, hilarious comedy Wednesday nights at 7.30. 
on Fridays at 7 o'clock. Join us outside mutinyradio.fm here at 21st and Florida, 7 o'clock for outdoor comedy, socially distanced in the street. And Saturdays, join us at Atlas Cafe SF at 20th and Alabama for Titans of Comedy. Every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Hey, keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio. St. Valentine's Day Mascara. Streaming live on Facebook, Sunday, February 14th, 11 a.m. An international affair hosted by Ms. Noir. Do you crave a carnival? Are you longing for some lecherous Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's Day Mascara. 14th of February 2021. 11 a.m. PST. Facebook Live. A date for everyone. Hosted by Ms. Noir. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country, as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky.